Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome to the Football Bosses, Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata back for another week. Thanks to George Danekian who filled in for me last week. Did a fantastic job. I heard Great the show, show went well. My, my job is in jeopardy. But um, thanks for uh, filling in, uh, George. And last week we had uh, Lou Sticker on, a, another great conversation. And Graham Arnold. And Graham Arnold. He's pulled out of the Socceroos job. What did you uh, say to him to no, make nothing. him change his mind? No, I think it's... Um, <laughs> oh, look, I think uh, down the track, I think FFA are going to go probably for an interim. And then uh, I guess maybe Arnie might be in. But... Uh, We'll see. I'm sure that um, it makes complete sense for t- yeah. for Graham Arnold to rule himself out now. It, it, he, I'm sure, has spoken to the FFA and they've probably said to him, "Look, we want someone for the World Cup, and then once that's done, um, we will come back and, and look for a local, and, and you'll be our number one candidate at that point." And that just gives Sydney FC and, and their fans uh, some clear space and, and and gives them a clear direction for the remainder of the season as well. Once the World Cup is over, that's July. Uh, it's well ahead of uh, the the following A-League season and it will also give Sydney FC, it makes complete sense, them an opportunity then to recruit for a new manager as well for the following campaign. Don't underestimate Sydney FC because I know um, Chairman Scott Barlow and the owner David Traktovenko will be pulling big guns to keep Barney uh, at the club. So no uh, doubt. watch your space. No doubt, but um, the lure of a Socceroos job uh, long term um, I think will be too hard for him to resist. We'll see. That's one of the things we'll talk about uh, on the show today. We, we, we have got uh, uh, some terrific guests. Uh, Vince Greller, one of Australia's greatest. Didn't he boss the football field? When yeah, he, he, was, he was such a great player and uh, spent his uh, majority of his career in uh, Italy. I remember, Tony, when I first started uh, covering the game, uh, Vince Greller was playing, playing for Springvale City uh, in, in the State League and uh, we were commentating games uh, uh, back then. And uh, I remember going out and uh, he's playing with his brother David at, at the time and um, terrific bloke, uh, Vince Greller. And, uh, loves the game, loves Australia. He still lives in Italy, uh, in Florence, um, with his family and uh, he's a player agent at the moment. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be talking we'll talk a bit about um, Mancini what's happening there because um, I think he uh, bossed uh, Mancini around the field as well he's got a special connection to Roberto Mancini many people don't know so we'll ask him about that uh, on on the program and and also his view on the A-League and, and the player uh, recycle that we're seeing at the moment. A lot of players moving to and from different clubs and, and the strategy and path that players should take. Uh, Vince has done it as a player and he's now advising young players on, on the best strategy for, for them. What better person than, uh, than Vince who uh, you know, left our shores at, at, I think, at around the age of 18 and um, you know, sort of uh, played in, in, in one of the toughest leagues in the world with uh, his Best friend, uh, Marco Bresciano. And the other thing we'll touch on today is uh, Brisbane Raw. It's uh, oh. bad times uh, up in Queensland at the moment. A terrible uh, night for them. Uh, one of the worst nights we've seen for Australian football in general. It was embarrassing uh, last night. Not only the result, but uh, what happened with the jerseys. How do you get that wrong? You've know. worked at a club. Surely that it's not hard to stick a number on. No, it's not. And uh, <laughs> Ned Zellish was actually funny. He said, bring the ironing board and get someone to iron those. It was embarrassing. You know, they had Lasterplast to stick the numbers and the referee wouldn't let the players come on because they were 
different numbers. And, and you, one thing you need to know that if it was in the A-League, it would have been okay, play on. But Champions League is, is very much to the letter of the law. And uh, they'll be fined heavily by the AFC, no doubt. Um, and that's a, it's a, it was only 1,700 people there as well. And uh, to top it off, they lost to a Philippines team I've never even heard of who are three weeks into their pre-season. And, uh, and had a, a tough uh, journey to get there as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And um, No business class fights um, and masseuses. No, unbeknown, uh, I spoke to uh, David Poré, who's the CEO of Brisbane Raw. We had, we're going to get him on the show um, today uh, just to talk about because they've launched a new academy, uh, new facilities, some really good stuff coming out of Brisbane. And uh, after that last night, he actually he said, uh, Tony, I've got uh, other matters to attend to uh, today. So... Uh, but uh, we have uh, someone else who was there last night to uh, have yeah, a chat. Nick Meredith will join us, uh, my colleague from Fox Sports, uh, a little bit later in the show. Coming up uh, next, though, Vince Grella. You're listening to FNR and the Football Bosses. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Coach Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. And one of the bosses of Australian football when he was playing and even off the field today is Vinnie Grella. He joins us on the live on the line, live from London. Hello, Vinny. Thanks for joining us. Hello, guys. Good morning to you. Mate, um, thanks very much for having a chat. We, we love uh, talking to you. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what you're doing firstly at the moment. Oh, at the moment, I am uh, working inside of the January transfer window, which has uh, been very difficult, but... Um, yeah, the the main thing for me is just trying to help guide players in the right direction, even though I don't have a crystal ball in my pocket to be able to see the future, but we try to give a good pathway and, and try to help players through their career. Well, it's been an interesting debate, especially over the last month, uh, about players here in the A-League. And I suppose it was highlighted when Dino Dulbich signed for Melbourne Victory for two weeks and then he turned up again at, at uh, um, Perth Glory. And the debate is that perhaps we're recycling players too much and uh, we're not looking at new talent and uh, we seem to have more of the same in the A-League. I know you do work in the A-League and, and you do work overseas. What's your view on, on how the state of play with uh, the way coaches and clubs are, are recruiting players uh, from A-League club to A-League club? Yeah, you ask a very good question and probably the answer would take up uh, an hour of everybody's time, so I'll try to be short and sweet and get to the point. Um, we always talk about uh, the lack of young players coming through, but I actually think that the, the, the issue is not the young players coming through, it's the opportunities that they find, and unfortunately the short-term projects of clubs and coaches uh, looking at you know quick fixes instead of maybe trying to spend a little bit more time developing and 
you know, working through some of the difficulties that all of the young players have, uh, which is inconsistency. And, and actually, you know, I think we do have some good young players in the country, but I, I seem to be having the same discussion with clubs and coaches. As a solution of trying to find a way to get more game time, just because they think there's more clubs available, and it's it's disappointing because their their pathway should be through the A League, and I think uh, with some of the players that are coming through now that have only ever really got a game via default injuries and suspensions. But everyone is surprised by the talent in some of these boys. But we probably wouldn't have seen them unless there was injuries and, and you know, uh, players leaving and, and like that. So um, it's a bit of a worry for someone who does my job and is trying to encourage players to, to, to stay in play. Um, and, and, you know, uh, it's difficult because the opportunities are limited. Hey, Vince, um, Tony here. Um, I just want to sort of change tact a little bit. And, you know, Graham Arnold came out um, a couple of days ago saying that he's uh, ruled himself out of the Socceroos uh, job. Um, there's a lot of speculation. You know, you know, some names have been thrown out. One, Roberto Mancini. Uh, you know, this morning we found out, you know, FFA are in Holland talking to uh, Louis van Gaal. Um, back in 2006, after Frank Farina was uh, let go, um, Hus Hitting came in to uh, take over. He took over. He was still coaching Ajax, came over for six months. Looks like that's the way FFA are going to go. They're going to go for an interim coach, take him to the World Cup, and then probably look at a long-term most likely will be Graham. Um, how did back in 2006? How did that sort of work with um, with the squad? You know, Frank going and then sort of um, hitting coming in. Is it something that the FFA should do, or should they be looking more of a long term World Cup plus Asia Cup plus the next World Cup? Um, you know, from your experience, Vince, um, how do you see it all? You know, falling into place. I think at that time. The appointment of Gus was was a fantastic appointment. Um, he had the charisma, the personality, and the runs on the board to be able to get the maximum out of what was a was a strong team. Um, the direction to, to, to take now going forward is a, is a, is a, is a very difficult question. Um, I, I don't have the purse or, or the finances of the Federation to be able to make a decision on the, the length of, of the stay of this next coach. Um, unfortunately, the top coaches in the world to take on the job long term are going to cost a lot of money, and I'm not sure they're in the position to be able to do that, even though probably that would be the best solution. Um, I think there is interesting coaches in Australia that have gathered enough experience to be able to take the job. And in an ideal world, the national coach 
who is from that country, I think will always give a little bit more passion and, and love for his job. So that would be probably the preferred. It would just be a matter of uh, what is the um, what is the strategy going forward. Um, and unfortunately, I, I can't answer that question. Um, to go to the World Cup now, you know, as, as a spectator, we, we, we want to put on a, a good performance. And to put on a good performance, you need to be prepared and ready. And you need somebody who has that experience of a, of a World Cup and what it means to, 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 to be prepared. So I think all of the people of the Federation have taken on all of the information from, from, from their various consultants and they'll be in the best position to make that call. Yeah, no, you make, uh, make some valid points, Vince. Um, one name which uh, is, is the uh, bookie's favourite here and it's been spoken about, I mentioned in earlier was uh, Roberto Mancini. We know he's with uh, Zenit St. Petersburg on, on big money. Um, you know, would be would be great. Um, I'm not sure if you if you know Roberto or uh, what your thoughts are, but uh, how likely would it be for, for him to, to come and coach a soccer And roof? could he do the job uh, as well as coach uh, Zenit on top of that? I do know him. Um... I crossed paths with him on the field and, and then crossed paths with him many a times while he was coaching in Italy. Uh, then when he moved to Manchester because of the Italian connection and one of his, one of his assistants was my next-door neighbour, uh, I got a chance to uh, get to know him a little bit better. Um, he's in a difficult position because he has a very big contract with Zenit and uh, would the short-term scenario suit him? He, he's a big favourite for the Italian job, so um, he, he's not going to be an easy guy to, to, to bring in. Um, would he be able to do the job? Yes, definitely. I think uh, Mancini's work with top-level players, he had a top-level career as well as a footballer um, so he has that aura about him he has that personality and and tactically he's, he's, he's a very intelligent coach so that's, I think that's the type of coach that we, we should be looking to go for one, one uh, name that hasn't surfaced sure to Vinny. Yeah, and one one name that has surfaced over the last few days, and not that uh, it, it's been put on the shortlist, but uh, I'm putting him on the shortlist. I think he should be on the shortlist, and that is Cesare Prandelli, who is, of course, coach of the Italian national team at the last World Cup. He's just been sacked from his uh, Saudi Arabian club. Uh, I think the FFA need to at least see whether he would be interested as well. He'd, he'd be uh, someone they should talk to. They're all Italian, Michael. Is that a theme? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Cesare Prandelli uh, done a good job in a difficult moment uh, for Italy. had good success at club level. Um, so he would be another good candidate. But again, uh, it would just depend on, on what the Federation is looking for and you know what type of criteria they've put together uh, with, with, with what it is they're looking for. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, a good name, somebody who is very level-headed, um, 
very well organised, uh, very well prepared on the opposition. So he would be definitely a good name. I just want to get back to the players in the A League. We'll just keep you for a few more minutes, if we could. Um, and the with the merry-go-round yeah, we were talking fine. about earlier. Um, it's interesting that we, when you look at someone like Ursum Gullum, who's just joined Adelaide United at the start of this season, we had a, a great feature on him on our pre-game show on Fox Sports on the weekend, and, and he spoke about how difficult it was for him. He left uh, Melbourne as a 15-year-old, similar to what you did, similar to what uh, many of your generation did, and he played in the second division in Turkey, and he worked his way up from there. Uh, at the age of 30, he's now uh, back in Australia playing, uh, getting paid $5 million a year from his Chinese club on loan, so he's the highest paid footballer of any code in this country. But it was just a fascinating story to talk to, talk to him about you know, how hard it was for him in the initial stages, uh, leaving these shores as a 15-year-old. I know it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and it's different for every player, but uh, I just thought it was a really interesting context uh, given his journey and, and the debate we're having about giving players, our young players, an opportunity here in the A-League. What, what's... Uh, What's your view on, on all of that? We, we spoke a little bit earlier about the fact that you know players need to be given more opportunities, not just when there's a suspension, but they need to, to, the coaches need to have faith in them. The other the other point I suppose I want to make is that you know I just don't think we have enough teams in the competition, and more teams will give more kids an, an opportunity. Yeah, that, well, that would be a good start, but we need to create and build the, the infrastructure that it. You know, financially viable to have more teams, but again, I, I don't have the, the the keys to to that lock to be able to answer that question. Even though you know, logic would say if there's, if there's more teams, then there's there's more opportunities for our for our young boys to play. Um, yeah, look, the difficult going over to Europe are you know pretty open and clear to everyone that the the facts say that. You know, the players that go over now and or of recent and the amount of players that come back is, is becoming more and more. Uh, the competition for spots in Europe is, is every year becoming uh, more difficult and more difficult by, by the minute. Uh, and I can see from this this window now, in uh, transfer window now in January, how, how difficult it is to move a player. So... There's probably two parts to, to the problem. One of the problems is the, the lack of game time in in in, uh, in the A League, and and the second part of the problem is the fact that when players are going over to Europe, they constantly talk about game time. But to be able to get game time, you need to earn the game time, and to earn the game time, it, it takes a little bit of time. I use with a lot of my players the, the example of Mark Bresciano, who is a very close friend of mine, so I wouldn't want this to come across like me trying to pump Mark up, not like he needs to be pumped up. <laughs> no, we all love Bresciano. Mark Bresciano, the best part of two years to break into Empoli, which is, I would say, a reasonably small club in Italy, in the second division. The resilience of that player for two years of sticking it out, playing with the youth team, doing extra sessions, being left out of the squad, and and every day turning up to training like he was going to break into that team. 
the easy option for Mark at that time would have been, okay, well, I'm not getting game time in Ampoli, let's just find another club. But he stuck it out, and, and then he reaped the rewards of that discipline and that desire in his later years, and that formed his character and made him what, what he become as a player. But now, after six months of a player maybe not getting enough game time, they turn to the agent or they turn to uh, the A-League as an easy option back because they say, well, I'm not getting game time. But the real question they need to ask themselves is, do I deserve more game time? And unfortunately, this is one of those questions that the answer can sometimes be a bit painful. And a lot of people don't want to hear that answer. And when they do hear it, they think that there's always another motive behind you giving that type of feedback. So there's, there's uh, a lot of issues to, to, to work on and work with uh, with regards to Australian football. Yeah, look, Vince, um, these young players these days, they, they do that, you know, they... I mean, yourself, Marco, Viduca, Harry Kuehl, I mean, the, the list can go on. Timmy Kale. Timmy Kale. I mean, you guys were pioneers in back in, you know, the early 2000s. You, you, you left Australia, I think, what? how old were you, Vince? 18, 17, 18 when you left? 18. 18. You went across to Italy, you forged a great career, you stuck it out, because it wouldn't have been easy over there, you know. Even though your you, Italian heritage is seen as, you're seen as, a, as an Aussie, um, you know, you, you, you said exactly what, what Marco would have gone through, and you would have gone through the same. These days, they go there, they miss out, they come back, come back to the A-League, and clubs will pick them up, because they are good players to play in the A-League, and all they hear is just, just a holding pattern till they find something else. Um, you know, we, we can see that for Mark Milligan. You know, he's, he's come back, he's playing now for victory, and he's got another offer to go to Saudi. He wants to go back. Um, but clubs, you know, they'll, they'll take these players. You know, Marco Rojas is, is another example. You know, he, he left, went to Stuttgart, and he came back to victory now. He's gone again. Um, so they use that, that merry-go-round um, type thing. Um, you know, an, another player, you know, that I was involved with and signed in, in, in Sydney was, was Alec Gersbach. He went to Rosenberg, did okay. Now, you know, this week he's, um, he's gone to a, a, fr- a French second team in, in Lons. So, you know, they, they are sort of moving, trying to get some, some game time. But, um, you know, speaking about Alex, is, is that a good move for Alex to go and, and play at, at, at Lons? I'm not sure whether we still got you there, Vince. Are you there? I might have lost him. All right, fascinating chat uh, with Vince Grella, and uh, we thank him for his time. We've just uh, seemed to have lost that line. Uh, Tony was going to ask him just uh, as we're finishing up the, uh, the the discussion around the January transfer window. It's the mm. busiest time. At, <laughs> maybe his phone's ringing off the hook with uh, deals coming in uh, uh, at the end of the January transfer window. But really fascinating discussion uh, from Vince. So we we thank him uh, for for joining us. Um, Tim Cale is, is the big one that uh, we still haven't seen uh, whether Tim Cale is going to find another club. What's what's your view on, on, on that? It's extraordinary that uh, he still uh, hasn't announced where he's going. He needs to find a club. Uh, he knows that. And uh, the Socceroos boss, whoever that may be, will, will want him playing football. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see where he ends up. Yeah, look, um, you know, Tim left uh, way back in December, now, or even earlier than that, um, you know, 
you're hearing that he bought out his own contract. Um, he needs to find a club soon. Um, he's a free agent, so he was free at, when the transfer window opened. So it, it, it can go any time. But if he wants to get on that plane to, to Russia, um, and I'm sure he's working hard um, to, to get a club, but he, you know, for the sake of Australian football, uh, he needs to get a club uh, pretty soon. And you know, maybe someone in, in, in the A-League, you know, Central Coast, Adelaide, who knows? Um, but uh, maybe that's that's an option, and um, you know, Tim can can play right through to to May. But it's disappointing um, how it's how it's ended up. Um, but only Melbourne City and, and Tim uh, know the full story. What was really disappointing for me was that Tim Kale was at uh, Melbourne City on uh, on Sunday. We were there doing the pregame, and uh, Tim Kale was on the field unannounced uh, with his Foxtel uh, Academy. Uh, he walked on the ground uh, as during the warm-up and uh, playing with uh, with his uh, academy players, and uh, there was no fanfare, no, no mention that Tim Kale was there. I thought that was pretty pretty poor, given he's one of the greatest Socceroos we've ever uh, had, uh, and, uh, and no recognition uh, at all from Melbourne City and the fact that he was there. Well, you know they goes to show you what what might have happened there but you know that inside we, they'll they'll know exactly what happened to the outside it, it does look strange and um you know but uh you know I, i'm hoping tim can get on the field uh, very very soon well he did tell us that uh it's not far away uh and that was on on sunday so he said uh, stay tuned a few days and uh we'll uh we'll tell you all what's happening so uh, yeah we wish him best uh, we thanked vinnie grella for joining us uh, a fascinating yeah, chat great insight by vince huh? he um you know you know he passed, he crossed paths with Mancini. I wonder how's Mancini's legs because uh, you know when, when Vince was out in the field, he uh, he would uh, cross paths with a lot of players. But uh, no, excellent insight to uh, to someone who pioneered the uh, the pathway in, in a tough league. Him and Embresh, um, more so. Uh, you know they're all tough in Europe, but playing in Serie A, which is one of the uh, toughest leagues, and to break into those squads and, and forge a career. Uh, just amazing. And the message to young players is that uh, you know you need to stick it out sometimes when things aren't going your way, and, and that's what helped produce the golden generation. When you look at that squad that went to the 2006 World Cup, the majority of them All went of overseas them. as teenagers. Yeah, MO, and, and they made it, and they made their careers uh, as a result of that. Yeah, maybe there's uh, too much uh, easy uh, easy play at the moment for the uh, youngsters. All right, plenty more coming up here on The Football Bosses. You're listening to FNR. Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to FNR Football Nation Radio and the football bosses, Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. And uh, joining us now is uh, the boss of football in Queensland. His name is Nick Meredith. Uh, he's uh, a big part of the Fox Sports commentary team and uh, knows everyone and everything there is to know about football in Queensland especially. Nick, thanks for joining us. No, no problem, Zappers and, and Tony. I don't think anyone wants to be known as the boss of football in Queensland at the moment. It's, um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah... What happened last night? So uh, last night, to put into context, I'm sure our listeners are aware that Brisbane Raw were uh, in a playoff for the Asian Champions League. They needed to win this one-off game to be part of the competition. They were facing a team 
from the Philippines who don't have a huge pedigree in world football and somehow they managed to lose the game. Talk about the game firstly. Uh, yeah. why, did, why did Brisbane not uh, knock over this, uh, this team from the Philippines? Well, even more context on that, Zappers. This team was only in their third week of pre-season. And they travelled from Myanmar, where they won the last league. Uh, They played that game six days ago. They came on separate flights. They couldn't all get on the same plane. Some went via Darwin, some went via Sydney. And they only got into Brisbane Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. So they had a horrible preparation. Uh, And to be honest, I mean, it wasn't a fluke. They deserved their win. And... While we can all, you know, and everyone will talk, the, the centre of the discussion will be about the jerseys and the numbers falling off and that fast. The, the biggest disappointment of the night for me was once again Brisbane's on-field performance. That's what people should be focusing on. Is it, was, it was a deplorable performance. They've been uh, disappointing all year, haven't they? Yes, they have had injuries, but so have many other clubs. When you look at Adelaide and the injuries they've had to encounter this year, uh, they came against Sydney where they put out a youth team. They, they were still able to compete. Is it, is it more than that, do you think? Well, look, I think when, when the squad was assembled and everyone looked at the age of the squad and said, well, gee, this is a bit risky. Uh, and I had a conversation with a couple of people then. I said, look, if it goes pear-shaped, this could go really pear-shaped. And it has. I mean, there's, there's too many guys over the age of over the age of 30 and even over the age of 34. When when Brisbane were at their best when in the post-Cogler era, it was because he had younger, hungry players, players with a point to prove. And... How many of the players in the Brisbane squad at the moment have a point to prove? Uh, you know, some of them just there for an Indian summer, as it was, a payday. Uh, you know, maybe it's unfair to taint them with that, but there's certainly, you know, I would say at least 75% of the squad are on the, the down, the decline in their career. So you're just not, not going to be successful with that. I mean, um, I mean, we haven't seen, I've hardly seen Jade North this year. Theo's, Michael Theo's still injured. Um, Brett Holman's missed a lot of the season. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Look, it's. Uh, I think. I think we all thought the same thing when when the squad and 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 to his credit, uh, Massimo Macaroni. At least he's. He, you know, he's, he's 38, and and I know when when we brought out Alessandro 38, but he's still got quality. He's still got you know, adds a little bit to uh, uh, to the team. He scored I think eight or nine goals already um, in 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 that sort of team. But uh, I think I think you're, you're spot on, Nick. There's. Um, there's not enough youngsters there to, you know, you need that balance, and I don't think that balance is there. Now, they let go of Peter Scopides, who I thought did okay, um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on uh, on John, and <clears throat> you could see last night in, in the interview after the game, um, just the, I think there's the strain of, uh, and the stress on his, uh, and his face, and, he, and he, he's right, he can't do everything, but at the moment, you know, Craig's left, um, you know, it's, it's just just John uh, battling everything, and uh, must be quite frustrating yep. for him. Yeah, well, look, I mean, John John knows the game; he's been around it, and that was the centre of the discussion last night. He understands that in football, the buck stops essentially with him, and whether that's right or wrong, um, just on the age of the players, it's also about the desire. I think clearly for me, the Raw's best player this year has been Ben Calfella, who's you know at the the latter stages of his career, but his effort and his intensity can't be faulted. Um, so it, it's from within the player as well and what they what they bring to the table. And if all the players over a certain age or at a certain stage of their career had brought his effort and intensity and desire, the Raw would be in a far better position than what they are now. He's, he's been, and a lot of people criticise his signing, he's been a fantastic addition to the club. 
and um, he, he's one that can certainly walk away with his head held high. Yeah, great player. I got to know him when he was here in Melbourne and a uh, great character to have around the club as well. Fantastic, Zappers. I, I didn't know him before he came up here, but, um, yeah, one of the best people in football I've come across. Yeah. Uh, what about the uh, the owners? I, I read uh, somewhere last week that the owners were coming into town. Obviously, uh, Rawls owned, owned by uh, an Indonesian uh, uh, family, and uh, they were saying that, uh, that they were going to support uh, John Aloisi and, and his strategy for the club. Will they waver after what happened last night? Oh, the owners are a disgrace. I mean... We, we can sort of beat around the bush with all this and say, oh, you know, they've contributed to the club, and they have, and, you know, that, that can't be taken away. They kept this club afloat at times when no-one else wanted to, but you can't run a football club from Jakarta in Australia. You've got to have people on the ground out here. The people that they've sent out here from time to time, uh, they're just messenger boys, essentially. They don't have any influence or authority, and the club, essentially, to me, it looks like it's just been left to run its own course without some serious input and responsibility and process processes put in place by the owners to me it's no secret the best two clubs in this competition over the history have been melbourne victory and sydney and they're the, the two clubs with the best owners and ownership groups um you can't run a football club which is a business as everyone says nowadays without proper ownership and good ownership and brisbane simply don't have it it's interesting it's an interesting point because you know the inside out of of that club but i was talking to ernie merrick earlier in the year and they're also owned by a, a foreigner they've got a chinese owner and ernie loved being there this year and, and that's showing on the park because he says that the owners let them do as they please the owners uh, let them run the club they give them the budget and they give them freedom to do uh, what they need to do to run that club is that not the case uh, uh, in Brisbane? I think that the most important part of that uh, sentence there, Zappers, was budget. Yeah. Uh, Brisbane just aren't being well enough resourced. Um, my understanding is that it's basically a month-to-month operation. Uh, now, there's been times when wages have been significantly late. There's been times when superannuation hasn't been paid and all those things that we remember from the bad NSL days that used to go on. Uh, and that's certainly happened. And there's been times when the FFA should have taken the licence back. Brisbane would have been a lot better place now, I think, if the FFA had stepped in two or three years ago and taken the licence back. There's people in Brisbane who would would love to take over the raw, well-resourced people, but the Backleys simply don't want to give up the licence. The FFA, at times, should have taken it off them. Well, they they have done that in the past. They took it off um, Terracera Pisos in in Wellington. Um, Yeah. I mean, Brisbane, it's such a big city. It's, it's, It's a one... One club there, they've got so much potential, and you've seen in those uh, days with, when they won the, the championship back to back. You know, Suncorp was 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 packed. Um, I know when we went, Sydney played um, Brisbane there with Alessandro. There was twenty two, twenty three thousand. So the people are there, yeah. but you know, seventeen hundred people there last night. It was just a disgrace, absolute disgrace. Yeah. Uh, it was embarrassing to the A League, and 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 I. I know that we all support different clubs and, and, and we all support you know different players, etc. But they're representing the A-League. And, and last night's um, farcical scenes was a, was a mm-hmm. blight on, the, on our league. And it's our league yep. and Australian football um, in, in Asia and we, in a prestigious tournament. And, you know, I think it was, was, was mentioned last night that if they're not serious about that competition, and it is an expensive competition, and you do lose a lot of money playing in, in the Champions League, but we're in uh, Asia and we have to you know play it. So you either you know 
do it and do it well or, or just say, look, I, we can't do it this year, not put up what was put up last night because it's just not good enough? And that, that's the real concern for me on that, Tony, is that Brisbane were serious about this. They, they fully wanted to get through to the next stage and into the group stage. There was no talk of let's just, just roll over here because finances, we can't afford it. They wanted to go through and still put up an effort like that. Um, and, a, you know, the farcical off-field scenes and, and everything that went on with it. But it's true what you say. I mean, football people around the country are going to go into work today and people from other codes are going to laugh at them. And what do you say? You just say, yeah, look, we're in a bad spot at the moment. And, yeah, look, it's, it's one of the most depressing things I've seen in, in football up here for a long, long time. Talk to us about uh, Craig Moore. Uh, he left the club a couple of weeks ago. What was the inside word on, on why he's left? No, it, I, generally, from what I've been told, that it's hard to find out. You know, the whole truth on this. Maybe we will down the track. Is that Craig just thought um, he was tired of it? He felt like he wasn't getting anywhere. Um, I think there's always been a battle up here between. Um, I don't think the owners, from what I've led to believe, are fond of paying agents um, at times. So I think that always creates a strain. As a football director, he obviously had to deal with agents. So. That, that may have made him uncomfortable at times. But in saying that too, Craig's got to take some responsibility for the squad that's been assembled. Uh, he was football director. He was largely involved with the recruiting. So, you know, I, I, I never like to see people lose jobs. I think it's one of the hardest things you ever have to cope with in life. But it's the nature of this game that no-one's going to come out of this unscathed, I think. And, um, you know, Craig's gone, essentially, although he's still around the club. I'm not really sure how much longer that's going to be allowed to continue. Um, to be honest, I think that's a, a fairly strange situation. What do you mean? What's he still doing at the club? He was there on the bench last night. I was very he's, surprised. Well, he's, he's, he's resigned, but he's basically... The, the understanding was that he would be there for another couple of months to help with the transition. Now, he sat on the bench last Thursday night, and he sat on the bench again last night. It's just bizarre. I just don't understand it. I mean, if he's there to support John, well, that's fine. If you're going to support John, well, you stay at the club and see the season out. If, you, if, you, if you've resigned from your position, I just don't understand why you should then be sitting on the bench at the games. And I don't understand why a football director is ever on a bench. I think that's, that's, a, that's a coaching-specific role. But, yeah, it's, it's just very, very strange. On the positive side, let's talk about one positive that we've seen come out of Brisbane over the last week, and, and that has been the, the unveiling of a, a new training facility. Uh, I saw some yep. pictures on, on Twitter. You were there. Tell, tell us a bit about what they've got set up there, and hopefully that's one of the foundations that can, can help this club in the future. Yeah, look, it's fantastic, and it was a deal done, largely put together by the current CEO, um, who did leave the club and has come back, uh, with Logan Council, who's one of the you know the fastest growing areas in the country, and um, they've built a, a pretty large football-specific facility out there at Logan. Um, the Raw have got their own full-size field and uh, gymnasium in there and everything. Football Brisbane have got a full-size field or two maybe, and their offices will be there as well. So Raw's only possibly a month away from moving in there. It's a fantastic setup. It should be a good news story. Uh, that the council has come on and basically built this facility for them free of charge and they don't even have to pay a fee to be there. So it's a great um, walk-up start for them and they've also started an academy um, at all age groups and that's uh, fully funded and free, that academy. So there's two really good news stories around Brisbane Raw at the moment but they're just going to be, you know, we're not going to hear them because of the debacle in the last 24 hours and just the, I guess, the, the 
the debacle the whole season's been up to this point. And whilst we've got you on the line, uh, I'd love to get your view. We talk about expansion a lot in our conversations. Uh, Brisbane mm-hmm. often comes up as uh, a city that could potentially uh, host a second team. In your opinion, uh, is it big enough? Is there interest there? And, and where would they play? There certainly is, Zappers. Now, Brisbane City, who obviously participated in the old NSL, um, they're under a, a different name. I can't remember what it was now. It might have been Brisbane Gladiators or something. They put a very professional bid together. Um, everyone that I've spoken to and, and within the powers at FFA said it's the best bid they've ever seen. It's fully funded. They've got half a million dollars set aside to get Ballymore up to scratch. It's their home venue, which is a perfect venue. It holds about uh, fifteen to 20,000. It's a football ground. It's a rectangular ground. It's perfect. They're ready to go. They would have been very close to being able to run this year if the FFA had let them in. But Brisbane desperately needs them to be in. Um, to have a derby in Brisbane, we've seen what derbies have done in the other cities. Brisbane's big enough. The Roar are moving to Logan. This, this club would be on the northern side of Brisbane. You'd have a north-south rivalry. It's the ideal scenario. Um, it can't happen soon enough. Uh, expansion is desperately needed. We've got to get to 12 teams as soon as possible, and really we need to get the 14 as soon as possible, but we must expand because, gee, it's stale at the moment. Yeah, look, you know, we're, uh, we love this game, we're involved in it, and, and even us are, are saying words such as uh, stale, but uh, I think I think another team is needed in Brisbane, even just to um, trigger the roar and say, OK, yeah. well, hang on, we, we need to lift our game, and, and to be honest, um, when I went to Sydney in 2012 and the Wanderers came in, it, it did give us a kick in the uh, in the backside and go, OK, well, what do we need to do now? We're, we're not just Sydney FC, and uh, we've got a rival who's uh, you know breathing down our necks, and it made us lift our, our game to, to work where we are now, well, where Sydney is now. I keep saying we, but it's not, but um, <laughs> it's just it's been so hard, big part of my life, but that's what we need, and you're right, we need to go to, you know, but, you know, again, we're going to go back to the FFA. They say 1920. That's not far away. That's 18 months away, Michael. That means that teams have to start basically in the next few months to start the process. You know, the, the name, yep. the, the facilities, you know, do your community forums, do it well, engage, etc. Um, and then start for the 1920, start recruiting. And we, we're seeing nothing. And we need, out. yeah, we need resolution on that, uh, Pronto. I think it's, it's so pleasing to hear, Nick, that, uh, you know, there is a consortium that looks ready to go. And, and I, I'm really glad to hear you say that uh, Ballymore is, is chosen as an option. And yes, mm. it, it needs an upgrade, but we need to start playing in more boutique stadiums. 15, 20,000 is absolutely yeah. big enough. Mm. Oh, look, Ballymore's a fantastic venue. We, we played there in the last few years of the Strikers in the old NFL, and it's a great venue. It's an excellent surface. It needs a bit of work done, but as I said, they've got half a million dollars there um, basically sitting in the bank to redevelop it and, and get it up to scratch. So it's essentially going to be ready to go. But look, we need to have two two teams at least announced by the end of this A-League season. Yeah. But you're going to be in the season after. Let's get going. It's um, They're asleep at the wheels, up. As I know we... We FFA cop their fair whack at times, and and I've defended them a lot, and I think we all have. But gee, it's hard to defend them at the moment. Um, but particularly with the domestic game, I think it's the it's the toughest spot the A League has been in since its inception. We had that one really bad year when they they lost focus when they were worried about a World Cup bid. But I think we're even at a, a lower point than that, and they they really need to you know intervene or or take the hand, or take control away from it if they don't want it and let the clubs run it, which I'm not really in favour of personally, but 
That's, it can't be any worse than what it is now. No, it isn't. But um, yeah, I, I think something's needed. Something's needed quick. But uh, hey, um, I wanted to touch on. Can you leave those Kiwi fans alone on on Twitter, Nick? I don't think they get your uh, <laughs> your uh, your no. your uh, your jokes sometimes. I think uh, the way it comes across. Right. My wife doesn't get my jokes either. So um, <laughs> she said, "What did you put that up for, you idiot?" And I said, oh, "I thought it was funny." But but um, speaking know. about that, um, I know. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of angst amongst fans about the heavy-handedness um, held out by uh, Stadia Security, and uh, yep. you know, Suncorp is right up there. You know, the Phoenix do. You know, if they're leading at the 80th minute, they do take out the sh- take off their shirts, whether it's a good look yeah. or not. It's something they love it. it it's good for you know, you know other fans, and then you know they get kicked out for taking their shirts off. So, oh, it's ridiculous, Tony. They, of course, they can take their shirts off. I yeah. mean. Good on them. I mean, you know, if some of the security stuff I read about and see in stadiums, it's just got, it's just become absurd. And, and active um, support is, is dying, and that's what's killing our crowds. Now, when I was there a couple of years ago, uh, we had a big forum, two-day forum with uh, all the clubs, um, club CEOs. Uh, we had the security, um, you know, some, some clubs hire their own security teams, etc. We had all the stadia there. We had FFA, we had local governments as well, and it was a two-day discussion about all this. And, and, and now we're seeing this, and a lot's got to fall back on, on Suncorp. Allianz is, is, is involved as well. There's, there's issues with some security guards and, the, and how they sort of you know, go in heavy. And it just means that every time they think it's football, OK, well, we need to crack down on it. And it's getting a... Yep. Uh, and it's, it's a disgrace. And we've seen you know, the crowds at Melbourne Victory as well, um, issues they've had. Uh, we need to resolve it, and um, I know sometimes the fans can go overboard and etc. And I think we've stamped out the flare situation done, but let's bring it back, bring that atmosphere because it's what makes other people go and, and enjoy as well. So hopefully, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree, Tony. Look, when the game was at its best in this country was you know when Western Sydney were flying along with Wonderland and that, and people wanted to go along for the atmosphere and the event. But what we did, and I think what we administrators at the highest level in this game did wrong is they tried to pander and cater to mainstream media and people that, that don't really have an interest in the game and tried to, you know, make our game like theirs and fit in with their mould. Well, it's not. It's a game that's played around the world with, you know, different cultures, different atmospheres, and we, we can't get away from that. We need to encourage it. There were some elements of active support that were, you know, a little bit over the top, but that doesn't mean you, you stamp it out like you have now because... Some of these grounds you go into now, they're like a morgue. Yeah, I agree 100%. And uh, we need to put that to the list of things to do over it's the a next... a big list at the it moment. It is. It's getting it's bigger. a long list, isn't it? <laughs> it's is huge. We're still hanging around, uh, Nick. Uh, we hope you yeah. do as well. Um, you're a great uh, supporter of the game and uh, a great advocate for football in uh, Queensland and, and right across the A-League. So we thank you for being very generous with your time this morning and... Uh, Good luck for the, the, the remainder of the season. Yep, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And, and you know, keep getting the message out there. I mean, the game will always survive. It, it, it goes through its rough spots. But um, usually from the rough spots, there's some good change that comes out of it. So let's hope that's what happens. Well said. Thank you. Nick Meredith uh, joining us here on FNR, Football Nation Radio and the Football Bosses.
Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. You're listening to FNR Football Nation Radio. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you on the Football Bosses. Uh, thanks to all of our guests who joined us on this program. It, it's been a fascinating discussion. Uh, I, I love hearing from, from both Nick and Vince Grello in particular uh, about what he had to say about uh, youth development. It's an important conversation, Tony, that we continue to, uh, to need to, to have. Well, it's um, you know youth development is, is critical, and um, you know future soccer players, future World Cups, um, in, in needs, and uh, you know if they can be mentored to some by someone like Vince, amazing. We thank you for listening as well, and uh, don't forget uh, we've got a big uh, big plans for next week. Uh, there's some some big things happening across uh, the world of football. Uh, Benita Mercedes, who is the uh, former uh, head of corporate affairs at uh, FFA, involved heavily in uh, the bid for the World Cup, and, and was a, a close observer what happened there. She's uh, publishing a book soon, and uh, Benita uh, is due to join us next week. So that'd be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, no, looking forward to uh, to that, and uh, I know some of the issues she. He's had about releasing the book and all the legal stuff, etc. But uh, I think it's finally getting released. But let's have a chat to her. She'll uh, yeah, got some good info. We thank you for your uh, support. Uh, make sure you continue to spread the word on social media. And uh, we look forward to chatting to you again next week. From me, Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata. it's goodbye for now. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio.